Do Good Charlotte is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. Welcome to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. I'm Pamela Escobar. In each Do Good Charlotte podcast, you will find out who's helping, who could use a helping hand, and just how you can spread around your own good. In this episode of Do Good Charlotte, we're going to speak with Molly Grantham, author, TV anchor, mom, and philanthropist. I spoke to Molly before about her involvement with Komen Charlotte and Race for the Cure, and during that podcast, we talked about how Teams Molly's mission, in her own words, is my dream is to honor my mom grandmother, great-grandmother, all who battled by finding a cure in my daughter's lifetime. Today's conversation will be about her latest book, The Juggle is Real, and will inspire you to do good, Charlotte, by the various ways you can share your own good. Molly Grantham, welcome to Do Good Charlotte. I'm so happy to have you back. We should say that when we did that podcast before, we did it at the Queen City Podcast Network studio, and we got to see each other and hug each other, and today we're both working from home, um, staying safe, and doing our part, right? Uh, yes, and good uh, good morning. I'm so happy to hear your voice, Pam. It's so funny how human interaction is missing and it impacts your mind, right? So like to hear friends' voices is awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it is important. I will say that as an extrovert, I really do miss real interaction and hugging people. Um, and I don't think of myself as a hugger, but I think in this time, I'm very much in the need of um, seeing people. I so, think you're in, yeah, a, a lot of people feel that way. So... Molly, this is your second book. Um, the this follows small victories. Um, let's talk about you being an author. Uh, obviously, you've been a writer your whole life. Uh, there's no way that you write a book without being a writer first. And being in the news, there's a lot of writing associated with that. But tell me what your inspiration was to write your first book, Small Victories. The inspiration for the first one, Small Victories, uh, I was on maternity leave with my second child, and I miss me. I think that's the most simple way to say it. I missed adult conversations and I missed editorial discussions and challenging days at work and making decisions that I felt had an impact on the community. And I love my kids. Never, ever, ever. I sometimes have to justify that because especially through social media, you hear people saying, you should be at home. You should want to be with your kids all the time and forget working. And that's not how I feel. That's not what makes me tick. And so on maternity leave with two kids, one being three and a half precocious and sassy and one being, you know, a week old, two weeks old, three weeks old. It was hard. It was hard. I, I missed this moving world outside. And so um, I ended up writing just on Facebook. It was never meant to be a book. And I started writing every week and then I went back to work and it would be every month. And so by the time I got to month 28, 29, 30, I was like, maybe as I've been tracking my children now, as they've been raised, you know, being a working mother who also loves her kids, but loves her career as well. And was not ashamed to say it. I was like, maybe this is more than just musings on social media and sort of rewrote all of it, gathered it all and put it into a book. And then ever since then, I've continued to write the months. So this new book had been month 60, month 61, 62. And I was like, I wonder what month 31 was from where that first book ended. What, what, what did come next? Yeah, And I went back to look at it and it was um, actually quite stunning to me what month 31 was. But from there on, I thought maybe a few months ago, maybe I should try a series. Maybe I should put in another one. 
and just see where it goes. Yeah. And so the name of that series is The Off-Camera Life of an On-Camera Mom. And I think that's what's so powerful about your series so far is that it really is getting into that off-camera life. I mean, I feel, I'm sure a lot of people think they know you uh, because of your social media and because you're on the news every night and you're coming into their homes. Uh, but this is a way for people to really understand what that life is like when the cameras are off. Um, and while today's focus is really about your books, I think that first chapter in your new book very much ties into your work for Race for the Cure. Um, it, so it did does. you find that sharing your grief was healing? I like writing. So, so writing it down was healing. Um, you know, what I put on Facebook is bits and pieces of stuff. When I went back to make it a book, I rewrite, I add, it's much more descriptive and literary and not just a Facebook post. So what you're talking about month 31, um, well, I'll just say it. I mean, I went back and I looked and it was in the hospice house with my mom who was battling metastatic breast cancer for a second time. And she is my passion for fighting so hard for breast cancer survivors and thrivers and always has been. She was first diagnosed when I was 12 years old and then, um, of course, was diagnosed much later in life again for the second time. And that's what ended up killing her. But it was in the hospice house, month 31, and seeing the circle of life and her through my children's eyes. And everything I have in this second book is certainly not what I put on Facebook. So even if you happen to remember those posts from three years ago, it was exactly this month, May, Mother's Day three years ago in 2017 that she died. And I was going through that then and I was posting some things because she had been so open with her breast cancer battle that I never would ever, ever hide that from people who have been so supportive of her, friends and strangers through social media. But I didn't go into great depth of how that really feels for me. And for a lot of us in our world, we slowly become the parents to our own parents and also are parenting our own children. And that's a crazy balance, right? That's a crazy thing to be in the middle of. And when I went back to read it and was like, holy crap, this was month 31. And then that kind of feeling of losing your parent goes through many, many months and the rest of your life afterwards. So it just became very therapeutic to answer your question. Yes, to write about it. But what I wrote about it originally three years ago was um, true what I've written about it now is much more involved, much more raw, much more vulnerable um, about how it really felt and how it really is to, to witness that through your kid's eyes. Well, and I think that that's what was so interesting too, was that you were, you're trying to have this balance of like, what are they going to remember? Um, and so you writing it down is your perspective of what they're seeing. Um, but it gives them an explanation for why, why you did what you did in case Parker would ever question. It doesn't sound like she is, but you know, you're limiting exposure to that um, because you, were, you didn't want her to see her grandmother in that position. Um, you wanted her to have these positive memories. And, and you, you took a personal story about when you were a kid um, and your grandfather and seeing cancer and remembering that image and honestly, it, I felt like you were, it was a page out of my own story. You know, my dad's father died of lung cancer uh, when I was a kid and I, no one told me it was cancer. And then I went mm. to the hospital and you, 
and I, I still can see that image of him laying in the bed. And, and then I remember leaving and being like, what is happening? Like, what is going on? Now I was older. I was like 12. Like I think you said you were as well, but that's a big memory that still stays with me. And so I think, um, you wanting to limit that is, is, is just honest. It's good. Like, why wouldn't you want to save your kids that anguish? But, but then I also loved was that you shared that Hutch, you let Hutch be there towards the end just because he brought so much joy. And he did. Mm -hmm. He was so young, right? He was two and a half. I don't think he'll remember a bit of it. No. (laughs) He still talks about Grammy and I think he knows a Grammy and maybe he's now five. He has a memory. I don't know how, I'm not a child psychologist to know how his mind or brain has evolved to know if he has a memory or he just hears us talk about her. But bringing him to the hospice house was therapeutic for everybody. I didn't want Parker to see it. Like I just didn't. And I do think a lot of families think differently. Like there are definitely parents that think, um, I want to give my children one last chance to say goodbye. And I don't want to take that from them. I think as long as your decision is made with love, it's a good decision. For me, I just was caught in this place because it's not like you have a how-to book, right? Like you just figure it out as how it feels. And for me, it felt... Uh, wrong to have Parker see Grammy like that. It felt okay to have two and a half year old Hutch see Grammy like that. Yeah, I think what you say in this book, and it was in another section, but I think it's true. It's like you're not, there, no one gives you a handbook on like how to do things. So a lot of the times you're doing stuff based on what you've experienced and how you were raised. And so you use the analogy with TV and screen time when you were a kid. Um, and so you limit them with that, but then it's like, well, what do I do with the phone? I don't know what to do with the phone. Like no one, I didn't have a phone. I didn't get a phone until I was 20 something. Like, how do you, how do you figure out these barriers and limitations with these kids? Um, and you just, you just got to wing it and let people do their own thing and not be judgmental. But do you find when you put stuff on Facebook, you get a lot of criticism? Uh, I have, Yes. Well, I mean, I get some, I wouldn't say a lot. I, the people that follow on Facebook in particular are just, you know, Twitter is a different mess and Instagram always feels more personal and sort of showy, but Facebook to me is just, I'm very, very lucky in that most of the people there are um, kind. And I, I put it, which is a rare thing to say about Facebook because Facebook can be a disaster too, but the people that follow me actively, I feel like are pretty kind and understanding and they will challenge things and maybe have differing opinions, but try to be respectful with it, which I completely welcome. I always want different opinions. Um, And if you think that maybe something was handled wrong, or if it comes into a news story, it's not portrayed in the way that you appreciate. Like I want to hear different things from people. I just will ban basically anybody that starts name calling, swearing, being disrespectful to me or other commenters um, egregiously. So I try to keep it pretty clean on there so everybody can have an opinion. I do get pushback on my posts, sometimes as a mother, sometimes as a a family person, sometimes as a journalist. Um, But again, I appreciate that. I don't think having like happy-go-lucky, this is wonderful, every single comment is really helpful either in broadening your own mind. Right. Um, Hutch not sleeping. Wow. I felt. <laughs> Do you remember that with your girls? When oh, they didn't course. sleep. Like, so the memory that stood out for me. So I love the picture of you sitting there and like your head's back and he's looking at the phone on your lap and you're just, it just looks like you're trying to get like just one minute of sleep. Please just let me have a minute. Um, <laughs> and 
it really did like brought me back to I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm working full time. I have a four year old or almost four year old and I'm pregnant and you're just exhausted, which I'm sure you're going through right now. And I would just lay on the couch, put my arm around Lila so that um, she could watch Dora the Explorer and I could sleep. And that was my way of like getting like I would be able to get 30 minutes out of that. And you need it. Like, how else are you going to function? And I can't right. even, like, and I was working night side too. So when I think about um, your schedule, oh my goodness, it, I, I, I can't even believe you survived it. <laughs> Can you, doesn't it feel like, it feels like war in some ways. Like you're just. Exhausted. It does feel like war. And then you get away from it and you forget. I know. So I was going back through the months to say, okay, what was month 31, 32, 33. And like somewhere in that mess, I wrote about Hutch not sleeping ever, like not staying in his bed, not, and then coming to get me at one or two in the morning, but I get home at one in the morning. So from working the 11 o'clock news. So like, I just try to get in bed and he's getting me out and he wants to play. And I, you get through it. I truly don't know how you get through it. I think you're right. It is kind of like this war, but then your mind blocks it out. Yeah. You know, you just block it out. So when I went back to look at the stuff, I was like, Oh my God, remember when he wasn't sleepy? Like, I just couldn't believe that. Um, and that's why I was happy. I had written some parts down and then expanded upon it more. Um, you know, to, to put it into this book. I think that's what's so great about this book too, is that you're really capturing those moments that it is easy to forget. Like I, I, what I do, I don't write, I take a lot of pictures, but I'll admit mm. I'm guilty of taking pictures when we look our best or we do. I, I've a lot of times right now during this, this whole pandemic stuff and being at home, I've been taking pictures of just regular moments just so that I remember, oh yeah, my kid's we're doing homework on the couch and we were playing outside and just so that I can remember those things. But, um, but yeah, those memories, they fade fast. And so it's nice that you're capturing all of that. What are you hoping that the kids take from all this in the future? It's their childhood. It's their whole life. And I'm writing it for them. I'm writing it for me. Let me not be so selfless. I'm writing it for me because I like to write. And that's what I do. And I love the, when you said you just take pictures. People, if you really love to do something and what you feel naturally um, sort of drawn to do, I think people should do and you will find time to do no matter what it is. But if there's anything on why I'm doing this, like I never thought I'd write books on parenting, you know, or my own kids, like ever, never, ever, never. That's just never what I ever envisioned or what I thought was my future. I want to write a gorgeous novel with like fiction characters and beautiful descriptions. And that's, this is like real life in front of me, stories happening every day. And so when I started putting them down, originally it was for me to sort of save myself, you know, during maternity leave, as I was saying, and get those stories out and just sort of talk to a moving world because I was trapped in this house. But now it's just evolved into recording their lives. And it's not an everyday thing. It's just a once a month thing with a couple short posts, maybe in between months, maybe not. There's no real rhyme or reason. And if it's bound in a book, even if nobody ever else read it, bought it, had it, held it, they will have it. And I will get, you know, copies for them to have on their bookshelves when they're older and maybe see what they remember. And it'll be interesting 20, 30 years from now to hear what Parker says about Grammy and the time in the hospice house. And then maybe she'll be able to go back and see why I made that decision or what was actually happening, not just her six-year-old view. 
We have a lot more to talk about, but let's take a break. This is Pamela Escobar. You're listening to Do Good Charlotte. After the break, you'll hear about how you can read Molly's next book, The Juggle is Real. How many servings of fruits and vegetables should you be eating? This is a 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina. The magic number is five. Three servings of vegetables and two servings of fruits have been connected to lower risk of certain cancers, stroke, and heart disease. Fruits and vegetables are a great source of essential vitamins and minerals in addition to plenty of fiber to maintain a healthy gut and reduce the risk of colon cancer. And they're high in vitamin C and potassium. If five servings seems like a lot, consider starting your daily vegetables with your first meal of the day. Snack on fruits and vegetables instead of whatever your current go-to snacks are. Use vegetables as the main ingredients in other dishes like baked goods and chili. And whenever you can, get fresh vegetables, especially in the summer when they are in season. This has been your 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. So Molly, your, your big thing is talking about being real. You did that in a TED Talk, which I thought was fabulous. Um, you wrote about it in your first book. I was able to read your first 37 pages um, before you launched this book. So I feel very lucky and I, I really appreciate that you trust us with that. Um, my guess is that you're going to delve into your current pregnancy because how could you not? But I didn't know if um, it makes it into this new book. Um, okay. Big secret. It does. Okay. <laughs> it does. But, you know, it is a chronological thing. And so um, I'm pregnant now in real life, May 2020. When I first started writing, going back in the book, you know, from three years ago, my mom's death, I clearly wasn't. So it is way down the line in the book. Um, and you know, we're friends. Anyone that's ever followed on Facebook knows most women who are almost over, I'll say, okay, I'm almost 43 who are having babies. It's not always well-planned. Um, and this one is certainly a surprise for me. So that is in here. And just the thoughts that have gone around with that. It's, um, it's been a, it's been a crazy train the past few months. I will admit that for sure. And the coronavirus being pregnant, the coronavirus is, um, different. So, sometimes you're homeschooling, you know, I'm like, what is my everyday, what is going on? Homeschooling, coronavirus, pregnant, but it's, it's, it's life, right? It's what happens and not everything's well planned. You really don't know what's coming next. The whole afterword of the book, I do address the coronavirus and is it a smart time to put this book out right now? And is it, most people would say no. Bookstores are closed. It can't get in stores. I can't do a book launch, uh, you know, official party event. There are no signings. So why do it now? And I address that in the afterward, um, just because I feel like all of us are sort of in this world together more so now than ever, different details, but similar 
vibes and stories and an understanding of each other. And that is what writing these books have always done. All the people who comment on Facebook and sort of the visceral image that they will give me of their own lives and that I think they take out of Parker and Hutch brings us together, different details, similar stories. And that's kind of how coronavirus is right now with all of us. Yeah, I think I think when you started this conversation, you had talked about how, you know, small victories, you were home with your kids, and that's not who you are. That's never the vision of, of someone that you wanted to necessarily be. Not, you know, there are lots of women who are stay-at-home moms, and that's what they want to do. And I have lots of friends who do it, and, um, and I love them. I'm not them. And um, so I think what's interesting is like, okay, come full circle. Now we all we're all home. We're all right. Um, some of us are juggling a little bit more than others. And, um, and I'll say this for myself, this is not me. I am not meant to be my kid's teacher and make sure that she's doing all her homework and get on. It's hard. It's hard work. And I think what's great is that when you post stuff like that, people are like, Oh gosh, yeah, that's, I'm not alone. We're all doing this too. So I think it's helpful just as a reader, as your audience. I don't know if I'm your typical audience, but um, I think that that's what you're, you're right on point, that it, it connects us all. We're like, oh, yeah, this, we're all doing this. We're all stuck. Well, yeah, I think so, too. And like the people that have replied on Facebook, I mean, this is a story I'm writing from my perspective, but it's not just about me or my kids. This is kind of everybody's story because there are comments in there from um, Facebook and social media, and you do hear opposition or pushback, but also people who agree. And it's all of us. I mean, Facebook saved me during my maternity leave. That's let's could be a lame thing to say for a lot of people, but I own it. I felt trapped and talking through a computer or my phone in little bits and pieces. Like, oh, I showered today. Small victory made me feel whole because people got it. People responded. I could have a sort of interactive conversation. And that's the same thing that's gone through all 65 months since. And it's been awesome because it makes us feel like a community and there's strength and solidarity in the community of just reading, sharing stories. Right. Now, more than ever with coronavirus, the homeschool stuff, I'm with you, Pam. This is not my jam. Like, I am not a good teacher. I am not a good teacher. I'm terrible. Like yesterday, I was like, you know what? We're just not doing anything. Go outside. <laughs> Goodbye. Yes. I'm done. Like, just go outside. I'm done today. We're done because it's such hard work. Makes us respect teachers. I mean, I think we already all did, but absolutely to the nth degree more. Yes. I feel so badly for them because this is their careers that are on hold and they're trying to interactively like do Zoom meetings with 24 third graders. Like that's awful. But so they love those kids. I mean, if you do, if you had them. any doubt before, like the love they have for your children is just unbelievable. And that is very obvious to me um, when I, because Emily's younger and she's in elementary school, I'm talking to that teacher on the phone some more than Lila, who's in middle school and she's got seven teachers, but they really do. They really love and, and miss these kids. And uh, this is a struggle for them too, to, to be so far away and not be able to give that one-on-one -on -one help and to see all their faces. Um, that's not my, like you said, it's not my jam, but it is definitely theirs and they're having a, a hard time too. So yeah, I truly appreciate them. Uh, and I am not a good substitute. <laughs> so no, I'm not a good substitute at all. And don't you see how the kids love them too? If you go and get in those oh. meetings or watch the big thing, you know, like I'm sure your girls get excited 
if they get to see their teacher and the students, you know, Parker oh, like one, is one, best yeah, part one, of her day. Yeah, no, one teacher uh, did a little video and it was just a little video and the smile on Emily's face when she was watching it, there wasn't even interaction, but just seeing her teacher, she was so happy. So yeah, you can, yeah, there's a lot of love there and it, it, it does reaffirm like there's a value to sending them to school. Um, and they're getting more than just learning A, Bs, and Cs. Uh, that social mm -hmm. interaction is important for them too. I did want to talk about how you balance your work, your kids, and then you do give back. Um, I'm not trying to like, you know, to say you're a saint, but you do do a lot. And I thanks because no I, one else who knows me would say I'm a saint. <laughs> no, but I mean, you do you 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 are the face for a lot of these causes. And, you know, you did a virtual silent auction at the beginning of all this in March. Um, how did that go? And how are you staying in touch with these different organizations that you're helping? How are they handling um, being down right now? You are so smart to ask the questions about the charities and what they're doing in this time because it's so, so odd. You know, we think it's odd for us as parents who are trying to homeschool and work and do other things and think about the charities. I mean, their entire world is based on reaching out and touching people and the humanity of having interaction. And that's all been taken away. So I think every charity that I'm familiar with and work closely with and truly love in my heart is having a very, very hard time. I've heard of different charities doing different things. Um, some are more successful than others, depending on how you quantify, you know, how you classify that. Is it how much money's raised? Is it how much reach you have? But they're all just struggling right? So like how many virtual things can you do? The Come in Charlotte virtual comedy show, it was supposed to be like that very first week people started canceling stuff. It was supposed to be then. It was sold out. It's the 20th or 22nd or something. I mean, they've had it for decades and um, just gone. I mean, you can't have a comedy show like without an audience and stand-up comedians really. Um, so we mostly come in Charlotte. I came in and, and helped MC it and host it and sort of keep it moving, but they planned all of it. And it did really well. I mean, for what it was, it was through Facebook live and the comedians still came in and we stayed six feet apart on Facebook live set up with cameras. And um, now we also have Hutch in the background. I don't know if you can hear him and the dog. So that's awesome. Um, <laughs> let me see if I can shut the door again, but it went well. I've heard of other groups doing other, you know, trying to send out virtual notes to not just donors, but people they could reach. Or if you had plans in the works to help like lift up kids who are sick to give them like um, letters and care packages saying the, the, the dream's still coming, you know, this is going to happen in August now or September, we hope October, but everybody's just been so impacted. And I think charities are maybe the least talked about group of who's impacted the most. Yeah. If that makes sense. It just, um, because, you know, small businesses, livelihood, family incomes, those take precedent always. That's life. That's what you need. That's a day-to-day -day, uh, struggle. In the bigger picture of society, charities don't get that much attention um, during this time, but a lot of them will fold. I don't know how many can truly sustain themselves when month after month after month, it's nothing. And not only no money coming in to help others, but you can't even help others because you can't reach out and touch them. Yeah. Well, I think it's important for people to think about those causes. Like I did for, I said to my husband, um, just with restaurants, not philanthropy, but I said, you know, 
we're going to get takeout from the places that we, we would be really bummed if they weren't there when this is all over. So we've been consciously trying to do that. I think you can do the same thing for charities. Like if there's a certain cause that you would be running a 5K your Saturday morning or you would have, you know, participated in an event or something like that, I think if you have the means, and that's the problem, a lot of people don't have the means right now, but if they did, um, there's a way for them to get involved. Like you can do something and not mm -hmm. forget about them. I will also say this, like, I talked to um, Share Charlotte and they have a whole webpage of like stuff that you can do for different charities and stuff you, your kids could do, like writing those letters and sending those to places and doing those things. So if, if you are home and you, and you want your kids to have this sense of doing random acts of kindness or giving back, um, there are things that you can do online and find for them to get involved. But I, I agree with you. I, I hope on the other end of this that um, not all of these organizations are going to fold because they do good work and, um, and they help, they help so many people. They help um, so many. And it's not always about money too. Uh, you know, like how you said, writing letters yeah. and share Charlotte's awesome. They do so many cool things and I love that there's a compiled list. I might go look for that and share it, but it's um, you know, you can, if you want to go run the 5k, like get your rear and gear was canceled for colon cancer. And that's, close to me too. My father died of colon cancer, but I had people that day that it was supposed to be run the five cans, send me a picture. And they had a sign on their shirt and then they can put that out and share with people. And even if you're not giving money, you're giving your time and you're making others aware that that was supposed to happen and get the name, get your rear and gear out. And that helps too. Yeah. That's a great idea. So let's talk about this book. I'm so excited. Uh, we should tell people that we're recording this before the official launch and it's going to be happening very soon. And, um, how can we get it? Well, you can get it through two ways and two ways only right now because of coronavirus. So you can get it through Amazon and you can get it through my website, mollygrantham.com, where all copies are signed. And I am pushing that site more only because I can control shipping a little bit more on that. And, um, you know, it can't, again, get in bookstores yet. It hopefully will be in the region and Barnes and Noble after all of this is over. And there aren't signings yet. Hopefully there will be at some point. But if you are going to do this and I'm going to try this in this time, I just did what I could sort of control more. And you can get things on Amazon, but you don't have a lot of say in it. And through my site, mollygrantham.com, which is only set up for the book. Um, it's not like a site that I've used or anything else. It's not newsy. It's just to make it easy for people to get signed copies. And um, they will be pre-ordering, I guess, right now this week for, for Mother's Day. And then they should be shipped probably a week or two. You would arrive in your mailbox or anyone's mailbox that you ordered it for as a gift um, a week or two after Mother's Day. Well, and what I've done in the past for people who are like, oh, I want them to have the book on Mother's Day. Don't worry about it. Like what I've done is um, I've taken pictures of things, especially like if you bought them concert tickets in the past or something like that. Mm -hmm. I just take a screen grab and stick it in the card and say, this is what you're getting. And we're so excited or something like that. So people can do the same thing for this too. I hope so. It's good, you know, sometimes for not just, I think um, we who are all raising children right now can appreciate a lot of the stories because it's about all of us and our stories. But I get a lot of times like mother-in-laws or grandparents that are like, I remember when, and sometimes you're not sure who to, what to get a mother-in-law or a teacher or someone that is in touch with kids a lot. And I almost love hearing from those people more than those who are in the trenches the way that you and I are, Pam. 
Well, I do. I love that you put the comments in the book, some of the comments from Facebook and those comments were like, oh, I remember. And they, those are so sweet. And uh, it also rem reminds you that, you know, something's changed, like the technology changes. But um, but the reality is, is raising kids. It's it's been around for a long time. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, it has. It has. And the circle of life. I keep going back to that because it is in many ways an ode to my mom. And my dad, you know, I've lost them both to cancer. And just to the, a parent, you, everyone has parents, even if you don't have your own kids, but to sort of see it all come together full circle is just been a very, um, well, I guess, mature thing, right? We all get older and we watch as life grows on. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that you share that with us and your audience. Um, what do you hope that people will take away from this, the second book? <laughs> that they're not alone. Um, we're not alone. Even some days I feel so alone and just like, what is going on and how am I juggling this stuff? And how do you go through when you don't have parents anymore? Or what are my kids actually learning from me just to be on a computer and phone all the time? Well, that's awful. And then sometimes you talk to someone or read a comment from someone and you realize we're all in that same boat. Yeah. There's different details, but a very similar story. Well, thank you so much, Molly. Molly, thank you for all the good you continue to do for this community and helping us see the off-camera, not-so-perfect version of, of motherhood. I really appreciate it. Uh, do you know someone else like Molly who's doing good in our community? Let me know. Tell me about someone or a nonprofit organization that should be heard on Do Good Charlotte. Reach out to me, Pamela Escobar, on social media. I'm Reporter Pam on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or go to Queen City Podcast Network page and fill out the contact form for Do Good Charlotte. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. I'm Pamela Escobar. Thanks for listening to Do Good Charlotte on the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina.